0: Hi, this is Dr. Donna Marks, author of Exit the Maze, One Addiction, One Cause, and One Cure. And you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel.
1: Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Donna Marks. Dr. Donna Marks is a psychoanalyst, licensed addictions counselor, author, consultant, public speaker, and instructor of A Course in Miracles. For over 30 years, she's helped thousands of people break patterns of addiction. She's here to talk about her latest book, Exit the Maze, One Addiction, One Cause, One Cure, which explains why the current treatment models have failed and how addiction can be healed and even prevented. She's based in Palm Beach, Florida, and is on a mission to save one million lives by 2030. Welcome, Donna. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Glad you're here. Donna, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you?
0: Well, there wasn't any one person in particular. My family was relatively dysfunctional. I spent a lot of time with my grandparents and I was interested in having direction and having answers to some of the many questions that were in my mind. So I kind of drew from different people. There was a person that lived behind my grandparents. I called her Auntie May and uh, she was very solid and very maternal and really liked to cook. And then my grandmother was certainly a source of inspiration. She was also, she, her, her marriage, uh, to my grandfather, they were very stable. And he was kind of quiet, but she was uh, very involved and, and participatory in my life. And so I looked up to them as uh, a good, solid relationship. Then there were certain you know, churches that I attended from time to time. And, and that was you know, helpful, too. To, I was never religious. and never have been religious.
1: I'm very spiritual. Going back to your grandmother and Auntie May, can you see any of their influence in the work that you do today? The influence of having stable relationships and caring relationships. Do you see how that's influenced any of your work today?
0: Well, my grandparents definitely had a very good work ethic and they had a highly functional business system. Um, my grandfather had a welding business and he never missed work uh, no matter what. Even when he was ill, he <laughs> struggle in. They had very strict uh, concepts of honesty and how important that was and talked about it a lot. And my grandmother, um, they were partners. So he did the, the welding and she kept the books and all that she had actually, this was before it was normal for women to go to college. And she went to secretarial school that she was instructed by her family to do if she insisted upon working. So she had beautiful shorthand entrepreneurship and bookkeeping skills and she kept immaculate records. They always paid their taxes on time and their bills on time, and it was highly functional. So that was my business model.
1: How about that? So you bring a really interesting proposition to the discussion of one addiction, one cause, one cure. Addiction isn't just a strong feeling or desire. It's not somebody saying, "Oh my gosh, I'm so addicted to that latest grilled cheese sandwich at the cafe because of the urban fused EVOO." <laughs> it's not it's not I can't stop watching Game of Thrones. "Oh my god, it's so great." What is an addiction? When when you talk about addictions, what does it really define it for us and tell us some of the ways that it affects people's lives, especially as small business leaders?
0: Well, what you describe or being enthralled with something, it's usually on a temporary basis and there's no negative consequences. It's like just a matter of finding new things that keep you stimulated and make life you know, pleasant and enjoyable. But an addiction is something that somebody keeps doing and over and over again in spite of negative consequences. In my opinion, that's how I define it. Otherwise, if they weren't addicted, they would stop doing it once they had a negative consequence.
1: What about people who say that their addictions Aren't really problems and they minimize them. What are some of the causes that you think are quite common, especially among business owners? And what is the harm that they're doing? Or is that just a symptom of addiction that it protects itself by people minimizing it?
0: Well, minimizing is part of the denial. And, you know, it's kind of like you get so used to something and you get so dependent on it that you don't really see the reality of the effects it's having on your life anymore. And the two most prominent that I see when I'm treating people who have businesses are either they're gambling, they're drinking, or they have a pornography addiction.
1: And what's the threshold that crosses from something that they do occasionally, occasional drinking, occasional gambling, into something that causes it to be out of their control or an addiction that has negative consequences? Or is that really it? They have to decide that it has negative consequences for themselves.
0: Right. Well, the negative consequences are usually, well, it could be personal, you know, just uh, this is affecting my self-esteem. I know what I'm doing is wrong. It doesn't feel good. And it's lowering my self-esteem, which only makes the addiction stronger because the same voice that told me to go ahead and do it, I deserve it. It's the voice that beats up on me. So that's the vicious cycle that keeps drilling that hole that drives the addiction. Uh, the other thing is though, that when there's external consequences, like I'm spending money at the gambling casino, or I'm spending the money, you know, at the bar at night, buying everybody drinks, and I can't make my payroll, or I'm missing work, or I'm too hungover to function properly when I'm at work, and I'm surly and grouchy, and my employees are disgruntled because of it. Or I'm in my office, I'm an attorney, and I'm in my office with the door shut on the porn, but instead of getting the case done. So all of these, eventually, you know, the clients are upset, the person is being called out, you know, into the senior partner's office and, you know, it just gets worse and worse and worse. So all of those are external consequences that can keep surmounting and surmounting until, you know, eventually things get so bad, people get fired, they lose their businesses, they are suffering so much that they often will get help. The problem with addiction is that by the time those external consequences pile up so high that there's no way out, the person is so damaged inside of themselves, it's very difficult to then get a grasp on sobriety, whether it's sobriety from sex addiction, gambling, or whatever the case may be.
1: So by the time they recognize it and come to grips with it, they've actually put themselves in a hole that's so deep, it's really difficult to get out on their own impetus just by trying to climb out themselves.
0: Right. In the book, Exit the Maze, I talk about the invisible hole, which is the driving force. You know, Something happened at some point that caused the person to feel empty inside. And then they try to fill it with all these substitutes that don't work, it only drills the hole deeper. And so that hole becomes, like you said, so deep by the time they get help that traditional methods of treatment really aren't working all that well, as we know, as we hear about all the time.
1: So is that the simplifying idea that you want us to come away with, is that the one cause of all addictions is the emptiness we feel from some particular event that occurred? Could you elaborate?
0: Yeah, it's not necessarily a particular event. It could be um, the way a person was raised. And I don't, I really emphasize whenever I say that, this is not to blame parents at all. Parents, you know, usually are repeating what happened to them. And so the illness is perpetuated from one generation to the next. But it could be that someone was not raised in such a way that they felt connected and felt safe and felt secure within themselves. And so there's a wound that starts off from that initial childhood that grows. And then by the time a person, you know, starts engaging in an addictive behavior, the earliest ones for men are usually sex. And then often then drugs, alcohol, excitement, you know, anything that'll take a person away from that hole and make it seem that it's being filled up with something else.
1: What are some of the common addictions for women?
0: Yeah, it's the same thing for women it's no different. In fact, you know, we're not talking about it yet. I actually have a patient who's going to be writing a lot about it and addiction among sex addiction, uh, alcohol, drugs, uh, the addictions are the same for women as for men. We're going to be finding out more and more about that in the next few years.
1: So that's the one addiction, one cause. What's the one cure that you advocate in the book as well as in your practice?
0: So if the, and I just wanted to also express that it's not necessarily just childhood that causes wounds, that causes the invisible hole. Sometimes things happen later in life. I talked to somebody recently who had been raped by a group of people and uh, that caused the you know, wound that didn't heal and she didn't get proper treatment for that. So the cure for any addiction is for a person to learn how to love themselves. Now, on face value, that sounds kind of corny. Oh, God, not another, you know, not another one of those, you know, love is the answer to everything. But the truth is that people do not know how to love themselves. If you ask them, what is it that you do to love yourself? They're going to come up with some few answers, but most of them aren't really how a person loves themselves. So I try to bring people back to their initial, from the moment of birth and even pre-birth, like. Was there enough food? Was there enough attention? Was there enough physical contact? And was there enough information? Was there enough guidance? And so these are the things that people have to learn if they're going to come out of their addiction of actually how to give themselves the warmth and the nurturing and the care and get the guidance that they didn't receive before. And if there's an injury there, how to heal that and how to approach yourself and others through that loving energy rather than through anger and guilt and attack.
1: It sounds to me like you're working through Maslow's hierarchy and saying, "Let's make sure and review whether you had these needs met growing up, and if not, then go th- undergo this kind of counseling, the therapy, in order to learn how to give that to yourself to relieve those and heal those ancient wounds that have been left open by not addressing it and trying to cover up the feelings that come about as a, a symptom." Is that close?
0: I think Maslow's hierarchy needs is an, uh, is an excellent model. Um, I was trained in just thought therapy and psychoanalysis, so I go a little bit deeper with that and a little more in analyzing someone's upbringing, you know that early development is so, so important. And he was you know, he kind of studied Freud, but I, I like to take it more to a Freudian level, which people's ears close off to, but not because he was wrong, but because they don't understand what he was saying.
1: What's one of the common misconceptions that you'd like to correct about Freud?
0: Um, I think there's a lot of focus on his mistakes and his papers were lengthy and intricate and he actually received many literary awards for his skill in writing but most people don't take the time to read it so that's the biggest criticism you know he got accused of making up uh, he was he was accused of being wrong for saying that a lot of women with symptoms of hysteria. At the time, hysteria was defined differently than it is now. They would have like physical conversion symptoms. And uh, he he tied that to early sexual abuse. And of course, uh, when he presented that paper, he was literally ridiculed to the extent that he retracted his hypothesis. But now we know he was right on. That's just one example.
1: Sure, sure. And why is it so important for each of us to be aware of addictions in our lives, even minor ones, and what should we do about it to regain control so that they don't drive us, but we have more control and efficacy and agency in our own lives?
0: Well, that's such a good question. And I think the first thing is to have to be honest. You know, if you keep doing something and you're not getting a permanent result of abstinence, or you're also having negative consequences, Eating is one of the most common ones, almost all hospitalizations are either substance or food related. And people don't realize they're addicted to food because, you know, they go on a diet, they lose the weight, but then they gain it back and they gain back more than they had before they ever lost. then they go into addictive exercise patterns. And, you know, then they have knee operations and all kinds of stuff going on later. Not that I'm against physical exercise. I'm all about it. I've run marathons myself and all. It's just that when we do this in an addictive way, rather than in a way to, you know, just be healthy, then we have a problem. So it's important to, you know, be honest with ourselves and like, am I having any kind of negative consequence from what I'm doing? Let's take radical, physical, extreme exercise. I had a friend who was in recovery, we'll call him uh, Joe. And Joe had been 30 years sober. Um, He had a lot of early childhood trauma that he did not choose to address. He was on and off of antidepressants during his 30 years of, uh, of sobriety from alcohol and drugs. But he went into daily extreme exercise. If he wasn't running, he was rollerblading and he was at the gym every single day. And this is how he kept his endorphin level up. He couldn't, after 30 years, he could no longer do that kind of exercise in his depression, which was partially biochemical, but mostly he had not dealt with his wound and and healed it. That hole just kind of grew. And then when he couldn't fill that hole with the endorphins from the exercise, he actually wound up taking his own life.
1: That's so serious. And I hope that everyone listening, if you have some sort of compulsion that you don't feel that you have the, the handle on that you want, that you seek help so that you get the answers that you need. And these things can be solved. Donna, you've seen it over and over, haven't you?
0: Oh, definitely. Definitely. And when, and when a person, the problem is, that, you know, somebody will go to treatment for, let's say drug abuse, and then they start, you know, the, the addiction hasn't been addressed, which is that invisible hole. So they just transfer over to some other addiction. It's very, very sad. So to be able to actually do the deep healing and then to learn um, how to love yourself and really actually learn what that means and and then implement a plan on how to do that. Then a person, I say they're cured because they can never, let's say an alcoholic obviously can never drink again, but they won't want to drink again. So that is the cure. They actually, it would be the farthest thing from their mind. They're not tempted. They're not struggling because they, that hole has been healed, and then they're also filling it with a sense of self-esteem and dignity and self-worth. So the thought of putting the poison in their body has no appeal to them whatsoever, or damaging them, themselves in any other way, whether it's emotional or physical has no appeal at all.
1: So I'm thinking of two parts to my next question. The first part is where would someone go to educate them more about addictions like this online or through books such as your own, as well as others, maybe two resources, two online, maybe two books that are good to read. And then second um, part of the question is, what should someone think about in order to take effective action? Once you feel like you may need to get some help or assistance with this, how do you overcome maybe some of the shame that's prevented you from asking up till now and then taking effective steps to find that you get the right treatment in evaluating that you're going to find a good fit for a program or a counselor or a therapist, what that means and and what's the best way to approach it?
0: Well, in the book, Exit the Maze, the first quarter of the book is all about that, where the confusion is. So clear that right off the top. If you're going to get help, make sure that if you think you have an addiction, make sure you go to somebody who is trained in addiction, but also that they're trained in mental health because they're very interconnected. Someone who's just trained in addictions is not necessarily trained in childhood growth and development or, you know, healing trauma and things like that. So you want to be sure that they are trained in both. And if you're going to a treatment facility, I don't know that there are are many, but find one that does have that also comprehensive picture. I don't think many treatment centers yet are recognizing that there's one addiction. I've never heard anybody say it before. I'm getting a lot of pushback, but then when we have a conversation about it, people are beginning to understand what I'm saying. And so it will help whoever's looking for help to really approach it that I have an addiction and it's going to try to plug into anything. It's like a hose trying to plug anything that will fill that hole. The problem is it's not filling it, it's growing it. Mm -hmm. So make sure you get help from someone who actually is trained to help you. The other thing is that it's not enough just to be sober. You have to be willing to grow. And your word, you know, what do you do about shame? I mean, shame is so, that's such a tough one. It's like a toxin that penetrates every cell of your body and mind. And the best way to to deal with that is to, as I say in my book, I teach people how to deal with all their emotions, but to as uncomfortable as it is to embrace it and to understand that it's not your shame. Something happened that caused you to become addicted. So you want to externalize it. But then the internal process is, I don't have to be addicted anymore, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to love myself out of this addiction. Oh, online resources. You can just, you can, uh, National Association for Drug Abuse. I mean, there's this, all uh, SAMHSA, there's all kinds of resources. If you just, Google how to overcome addiction, there'll be a lot that comes up. My issue is that these places aren't using the word addiction. They're calling it disorder. And I think that's a gross injustice. Well, because to think I have a disorder, I'm not really facing the reality. And I'm not understanding the, the how powerful addiction is. It is, an. I believe it's a far greater threat to our planet than global warming. I mean, when you talk about of hospitalizations are due to food and substance use disorders. Those people are addicted or they wouldn't be in the hospital. They've had so many negative consequences from what they're doing that they are very ill now and they're dying. And so, you know, it's kind of like the, uh, I like to talk about the movie, The Body Snatchers. (laughs) People were getting invaded and overtaken. They didn't even know it. And then after it happened, they didn't even mind. It's not so bad, you know. So I really feel that it's such a serious problem. I've been working, you know, I was raised in it. Um, I have my own personal recovery and and I've been a business owner and aside from my psychotherapy practice, you know, I've been in mainstream America for a long, long time. And I've also made a lot of observations when I've been abroad. So it's just very, very serious problem. It's one where we've lowered the bar so low and the treatment has been so ineffective that we're kind of sick of it. But we can't get sick of it. We have to be willing to keep learning about it and keep instilling hope. So no one needs to be ashamed of anything. What all you need to do is learn how to love yourself and be willing to have the courage to break out of it.
1: Well, starting and growing businesses is not for the meek of heart. People listening to this, I think, do have a good, strong connection with their courage, and I hope they take the words and the, the advice that you've shared to heart. Thank
0: you so much.
1: Donna, I hope that you can come back and maybe we could talk about a couple of these topics in more depth at some later point.
0: I would be happy to.
1: For now, I just want to say Donna Marks, author of Exit the Maze, One Addiction, One Cause, One Cure. I want to thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best today.
0: Thank you for having me on your show, Bill.
1: Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review My Quest for the Best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.